chapter 1. That's towards the end of your New Testament. So we'll get back to John when it's time. It'll be there. (laughs) But uh, this is a thought I think the Lord would have us consider today. And I as he gave it to me, he actually gave it to me on Friday night when we were at the men's meeting, and uh, I said, oh, that's it, and uh, worked on it yesterday morning. Um, but anyway, uh, the book of 1 Timothy, am I good? The book of 1, the book of 1 Timothy uh, contains, if you don't know, God's design for how you could be a godly example. And I, I like that idea, don't you? I mean... I want to be a godly example. I want somebody to be able to look at my life and my manner and say, oh, that's someone I want to follow. That's someone whose faith I want to follow. Is there anybody like that here today? Okay, I'm in the right auditorium. All right. Well, 1 Timothy 1, you see who it's written to in verse 2. 1 Timothy 1, 2, he says, It's unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, it's written to or I should say, by the Apostle Paul to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy. And that could really be anybody, right? It's like God is saying it to anybody who's saved, anybody. The Holy Spirit that inspired Paul, inspired this verse to say anybody who's born again, anybody who's saved, anybody who knows Jesus Christ as personal Savior, if that's you, can I get an amen? He says, well, then this book's written to you too if you want to be that good example. So the pattern of this book, the way it's laid out, actually gives you the path for any believer to be great for God. And I'd like to be great for God. I know I'm not, but I'd like to be great for God. I mean, when I competed in high school, I wanted to be the best. And I was a state champion. I was close to a national final and, and the thing I competed in. And, and, and that's that. And, you know, I watch my kids play and I, I don't want them to be slouches either, right? When you do something, you, you want to be good at it. I mean, who wants to stink, you know? I don't know, maybe that's you, then God bless you. But I, I don't want to stink. Um, I mean, I, I watched, you get what I'm saying. All right. But as a Christian, don't you want to be a good Christian? <laughs> like, don't you want the Father to be say, oh, hast thou considered my servant fill in your name there? <laughs> I know it brings a certain challenge, but I would like to be great for God. He's worthy of it. And in verse 3, he kind of starts laying stuff out. He says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. It opens this book, this pattern for being great for God. It opens with the admonition for the pastor to take care of the doctrine. Because the teaching of God's word is always the first responsibility of a church. (laughs) Our biggest job here is not to entertain you, all right? I'm not Maximus in the the Colosseum and saying, are you not entertained? That's not my job. My job and the job of a church is to preach sound doctrine, to make sure you know what that book says you're supposed to know about God. That's doctrine. And that's your first responsibility. Your first responsibility, if you want to become great for God, is to know and learn what that book tells you about God. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You're supposed to learn. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But go to chapter 2. I'm not re-preaching Thursday night. Don't get nervous. Some of you are ready to sound off on me and just be like, oh, here we go. But go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, and look what he says. 
I exhort, therefore, first, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. I want you to notice that the very next chapter after this admonition to watch the doctrine contains Paul's exhortation to pray. And after the teaching of God's word, prayer is the first thing that God's people need to do, need to get, need to understand. And the pastor Timothy is actually told to talk about prayer. You know why? Because the Bible tells us we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Lord, teach us to pray. It always seemed like we didn't, the disciples never quite knew how to pray or how to pray the right way. So I got convicted about that. I said, man, maybe I should talk about prayer on Sunday because that's what Timothy was told to talk about. So I'm looking at that verse one and Paul's exhortation to pray lists four types of praying that God's people should be doing. So I'd like to answer the call that Paul gave Timothy and talk about, here's your title, Paul's exhortation to pray. And what are these four types of praying? What are they all about? And what are we supposed to be doing as God's people? Right? So let's jump in. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll jump into what this, this might be about. Lord, we love you today. We're thankful that we can pray to you, Lord, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for someone here today that might not know you as Savior. They might know about you or sat in a building called a church. But Lord, you have to live in their heart by faith. So we pray if someone is not born again, today might be the day they get born again. And we pray for those that are born again, Father, they might grow closer to you, Lord. And, and get this thing down that's first of all, they would be the prayer people that we're, we're called to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. So let's go right there. So let's just go through these four types of praying and we'll see what it means for us. Right? Don't snooze out on me. I'm going to challenge you, but we have to talk about this. Right? First thing it says, we're to make our, quote, supplications unto the Lord. A supplication is a, it's an entreaty. It's a, it's a petition. It's, a, it's an earnest request, a humble appeal to God Almighty. You see 1 Timothy 2.1, he says, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, that's one, prayers, that's two. So Paul lists supplications as something different from prayers in a list that are not all the same thing, right? <laughs> I want you to go to the store, give me eggs, milk, juice. They're not the same. <laughs> so Paul says supplications, Prayers. So there's something different about a supplication than another type of prayer. In fact, one of the greatest prayer promises in the Bible is in Philippians 4, 6. And he says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. So he lists them as something different, something separate. So if prayer and supplication are separate in the Bible... What's the difference? Right? Go to 1 Samuel chapter 13. We flip around a lot of verses here. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 13. We're a Bible church, so we look at the Bible. 1 Samuel 13. 1 Samuel 13 is the first mention of supplication. 
And the first mention of something will give you God's light and God will establish his truth on a subject when you find the first time it shows up. And it's very interesting because the first mention of supplication is Saul asking God for help. 1 Samuel 13, 9, And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings, and he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, what hast thou done? Because Saul was supposed to wait for him, because Saul was not a priest. He wasn't supposed to do an offering. So he kind of overstepped his bounds. So Samuel's like, what did you do? And Saul said, well, because I saw that the people were scattered from me and that thou camest not within the days appointed, as the flesh never likes to wait, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash, therefore, said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. So he's asking God for help. Why? Verse 5. Because the children of Israel were up against their mortal enemy, the Philistines, right? You got Batman and Joker. You got Superman and Lex Luthor, the Israelites and the Philistines. They were like their constant enemy. They're still their enemies today. They're still around. And it says right there in verse 5, And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. That's a lot of people. And they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward from beth When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for they were, the people were distressed, then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. So the children of Israel are literally between a rock and a hard place. They're surrounded. They're approaching. They're scared. Verse 7 actually says the people were scared because they had nowhere else to turn. They had nowhere to go. They're just facing an enemy of just tremendous proportions. Verse 7, and some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. They were scared. You say, what does this tell us about supplication? Well, supplication is petitioning God for help and deliverance when you're in a strait, when you're in distress. You say, what does that teach us about prayer? The first thing supplications teach us about prayer is this. We need to ask God for help. (laughs) We need God's help in everything, in every place, in every facet of our lives, because we're surrounded by enemies. So the first thing God wants you to get about praying is, you better ask God for help. Have you ever seen a child make a mess because he refused to ask anyone for help? (laughs) Wake up on a Saturday morning, there's batter everywhere. I thought I'd make you pancakes. Oh my goodness. (laughs) And it's just a mess. We had these, uh, as my kids were growing up, some of them are still growing up. Right, Stephen? (laughs) We had these uh, 21 rules. Adriana, Christian, and Stephen could hopefully recite this. And we had one of our rules was this. When you don't know what to do, ask for everybody but my kids answered. I'm, you, you just, I have egg all over my face. You killed me. Mary Hakeem, I didn't raise her, right? But she's saying, 
But that, but she used context clues to decode that this is what we were getting at, right? But when you don't know what to do, we used to tell the kids, ask for help so you don't take the blender and shoot pancake batter all over the, the, the ceiling fan, right? Make sure you ask for help. And hey, have you ever seen a child of God make a mess of his life? Because he wouldn't ask God for help. If you don't ask God for help, you're going to make a mess of your walk, a mess of your marriage, a mess of your family, and a mess of this church. We need to ask God for help. And the first type of prayer in Paul's exhortation is the first principle we got to get about praying, that God's got to be the source of our help. Right? We're supposed to look for God for everything. That's what prayer is. That's the essence of prayer. It's not that you talk to God. That's not, that's not it. Some of you make prayer into an idol. Like, it, like it's your vending machine with God. You know, I'm just going to put my money in and I'm going to get what I want. That's not it. That's not why God answers your prayer. Not because you spoke and God answers like he's your genie in a bottle. I need some money and I need some. No, that's not what it is. It's the act of looking to God in faith, knowing he is your help. Prayer is like, it's like the serpent of brass. Remember when they, Moses had them lift up that serpent of brass and they looked at it and the people were healed if they were bit by the fiery serpents? You know what happened years later to that serpent of brass? People were worshiping the serpent of brass. They were worshiping the vehicle and not the God behind the vehicle. <laughs> Prayer is the vehicle for you to turn your faith to God. That's what it is. That's what brings the deliverance. Not that you prayed, but that you looked in faith to the only one that could help you. God Almighty. Look at Psalm chapter 40, if you would. Does that make any sense? Oh, you got to get that. If we can get that, then we can get praying. Psalm 40. Psalm 40, verse 15. Look at this. Psalm 40, oh, Psalm 40, verse 16. I'm sorry. Psalm 40, verse 16. The Bible says this. Psalm 40, verse 16. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help. And my deliverer, make no tarrying, O oh my God. You see, the Lord, he delights in helping his poor and needy children. Yeah. That you? <laughs> I'm poor and needy. I'm broke. <laughs> I'm broke without God. I'm done without God. I'm helpless without God. Let me step on your pride a little more. I'm done without God. And so are you. <laughs> Somebody watched George Mueller and wanted to find out how George Mueller, this prayer warrior, how, what were his prayers like? And they were like, nothing. They were like, Lord bless this food. <laughs> we thought it, people thought he was going to call down fire from heaven like Elijah. No, but he had prepared his heart to be such in a state of dependence on God that God was inclined to answer that prayer. You can pray for 5,000 words all you want, but five words spoken out of a heart that knows it's poor and needy without God, that's going to get through the ceiling. The other ones might bounce off the ceiling and come back in your mouth, but the ones that are born out of a heart that just comes to a place like, Lord, without you, I'm lost. That's how you got saved, right? <laughs> when you got to a place where you realized you were lost without Jesus Christ. Well, what happened since you got saved? <laughs> You suddenly developed a divine spark apart from God? No. You need God more now than you did then. 
right? You know, don't you like it when your wife, I mean, the guys, you won't, say, you won't answer out loud because you want to seem humble. But when your wife says, honey, can you open this jar? As a, you know, it's, everybody got this little Clint Eastwood comes out. Like, yeah, I got this. <laughs> there it is. Enjoy those, whatever they are. You know why you like that, gentlemen? Because she's acknowledging your strength. You can't open that jar, baby. But these four-inch pythons, these can open that jar. You know why God likes prayer? Because you're acknowledging his strength. You're recognizing you're poor and needy, and you need God's strength. That's a good thing, by the way. That's a good place to be. When Samuel was trying to talk to Saul about God, you know what Samuel called the Lord? The strength of Israel. Because Saul didn't like that. The flesh doesn't like that. You don't like that right now. You don't like thinking you need a crutch. You don't like thinking you need God. In fact, atheists make fun of you. Oh, God's your crutch. Amen. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, you don't want, you just got saved because you're chicken. Buck, buck, buck. Yeah, uh-huh, right? I'm not stupid, but I know who God is. I mean, God could hang the stars also. I'm sure he could take care of something in my life. Look at Psalm 52. Look at, you see the flesh. Oh, this stupid flesh. The flesh doesn't want to acknowledge his own weakness. The flesh doesn't want to acknowledge that he needs God. That's why people don't get saved. Because they say, oh, I'm a good person. I can make it. You're going to make it right into hell. That's where you're going to make it. You're going to make it right. In, you're not, apart from God, you're busted. You're lost. You're undone. It's, hey, man, shots fired. All right, man means, I totally lost my train of thought. I got it now. I got it back. I got it back. All right? What is the first thing God told Adam after he sinned? He said, hey, Adam, you're dust. Let's try to keep the stuff. Yeah, let's keep it. There we go. Right? You're dust. You're dust. We need to know because of our Adamic nature, because of sin that lifts us up with pride, you're dust. Why is that the first thing God told Adam? Because we're going to get so lifted up with pride, we're going to forget that we're Dust. Right? God remembers our frame. He knows that we're dust. Doesn't take much to scatter the dust, does it? Doesn't take much to, like, uh, make a mess of things, does it? <laughs> Psalm 52, verse number 4. Look at this. You see it right there. It says, uh, Thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living, Selah. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. See, the flesh, the wicked, they don't want to acknowledge that they're weak. They don't want to acknowledge that they need God. I hope that's not you today. I hope you acknowledge that you need God. That's the first thing prayer teaches us. We need God. We'll go to Psalm 59. Let me show you the contrasting verse here. Psalm 59. Look at verse 5. Psalm 59, verse 5. The Bible says, Thou therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to visit all the heathen. Be not merciful to any wicked transgressors, Selah. They return at evening. They make a noise like a dog and go round about the city. Behold, they belch out with their mouth. Swords are in their lips. For who say they doth hear? 
But thou, O Lord, shalt laugh at them. Thou shalt have all the heathen in derision. Now watch this. That's the lost. Here's the spiritual man. Because of his strength will I wait upon thee, for God is my defense. The flesh doesn't want to acknowledge God. The spiritual man, though, is willing to wait on God. He's willing to depend on his strength, his power, his glory. Are you waiting on that? You're trying to do it yourself. How's that working out, doing it yourself? Working out good for you? You'd be better off waiting on his strength. Go to Psalm 46. You know what happens when that happens? Psalm 46. Psalm 46, verse 1. Great verse. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. You know when we wait on God? When we wait on His strength? You know what happens? His response time is amazing. Because He's a very present help. Even if you got to wait, His response time is right. I was, I was watching a, a news thing a few weeks ago about this woman in Oregon who called 911 and the 911 dispatcher is like, I'm, I'm sorry, I got nobody to send to your house. And her ex-boyfriend is busted in the door and coming to probably kill her and he wound up choking and raping this woman and she's on the phone with the 911 dispatcher and the 911 dispatcher is like, I'm sorry, we don't have anybody to send. Can you ask him to leave? I'm like, what? Can you ask him to leave? She's like, I did that. I'm sorry. Can you hide? It's real. Can you hide? Can you get a neighbor? I'd be like, can you get a gun? I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? Right? Can you hide? Can you get a neighbor? Can you do this? You know what? That's the world. The world says, sorry. We got nobody to come help you. Sorry. Our resources are tapped out. We got nobody to come save you. Look at verse 5 of this chapter. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. Aren't you glad that God is right there with you to help you whenever you call? <laughs> I've never found once you go pray up to God. Sorry, I can't make it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little too busy. Sorry, they cut the budget so I can't send any troops. So, no, it doesn't happen with God. God says, my hand is not shortened that it cannot save Right? God can always reach you because God is right there with you. That's the first thing we got to get about prayer. Aren't you glad? Amen. How come you don't call upon him more? Go to Psalm 146. We'll leave this alone in a little bit. I'm challenging you to pray here. Stop trying to do it yourself and try to get God to help you. Psalm 146, verse 5. You know what will happen if you do that? Psalm 146, verse 5. Happy, happy. Happy, some of you need to smile even though it's raining. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. How happy you would be if you call on God for help whenever you're in need. If you stop bearing the burdens that you're bearing and just get him in on all of them. I mean all of them. I mean the ones that cut close to the, to the chest. Get him in on all of them, right? You say, man, I could be happy. Why am I not happy? Why do we forfeit this peace? Lean in real close. Because we're proud. Because we're proud. We, well, look at me, I'm, I'm dressed up okay, I drive a nice car, I make a nice living. God says, were you talking? I'm sorry, I didn't hear what anything you were saying. You need my help. <laughs> Even though you got money in the bank that I gave you, by the way. 
Even though you got some health in your bucket, which I gave you, by the way, you need me. Because if I take my breath away, you fall to the floor like a pile of dust, (laughs) right? And we're proud. That's why we forfeit this peace. We don't want to be poor and needy. We don't want to be dependent on one because it would take faith. It would take faith. But until you lean upon your staff like Jacob, like the humble Jacob, who had to get knocked down a few notches and walk with a limp for the rest of his life because he was the deceiver, the supplanter. He was used to taking matters into his own hands. Hey, I want the blessing. I want the birthright. Hey, me and mom, we're going to work this out. I'm going to do it. And then God humbled him, and he was never the same after he had that run-in with God, and he humbled him. And Hebrews says he leaned upon his staff. And until you learn to lean on someone stronger than you, you're never going to seek the God of Jacob. It's the God of Jacob that helps you. The God, not of Israel, but the God of Jacob, the one who's weak, who's poor, who's needy. But Saul doesn't like that. And some of you don't like that because your flesh doesn't like that. Saul says, I forced myself. I took matters into my own hands. Jacob said, I just got to lean on Jesus. I just got to lean on him. Are you going to lean on him? That's the first thing prayer teaches us. Supplication is first. Number two, go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. After supplications, I hope by the end of this message, you just want to pray to God more. (laughs) That's all I could, that would be my goal. That you sitting in your seat, or a Tuesday night, or by yourself tomorrow morning, or maybe this afternoon, you just make prayer as natural as breathing, right? Because after supplications, Paul exhorts us to make, quote, prayers, which gave me some mental agita for a second, because I'm like, I thought it was all prayers. But watch, watch, watch. 1 Timothy 2.1, I'm just going to read it. The second type of praying, Paul exhorts Timothy about what is called prayers, so I started asking myself, what is unique about prayers? Like, what can prayers teach us about praying? 2 Samuel 7 is the first mention of prayer. And it's just David talking to God. He's been told by Nathan, you're going to build that temple. You're going to prepare that temple. David has it in his mind to give God a glorious house. He says, you shouldn't be intense, God. We want to build your temple. Nathan says, yes, God, yes, God put that in your heart. You're going to help prepare a temple to be built. And look what happens in 2 Samuel 7, 18. Just as a side note in my Bible, next to 2 Samuel 7, 18, I wrote October 18th, 2021. CJ is clear of leukemia. All right, this was my verse that day. Then went King David in, and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? It would be good for you just to sit down and talk to God like that once in a while. Like, God, how come you've done all this good stuff for me? And this was yet a small thing in thy sight, O Lord God. But thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while to come. And is this the manner of man, O Lord God? He's saying, you don't do this for everybody, God, but you're doing it for me. And what can David say more unto thee? For thou, Lord God, knowest thy servant. For thy word's sake, and according to thine own heart, hast thou done all these great things to make thy servant know them. Wherefore, here's a good conclusion. Thou art great 
O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what one nation in the earth is like thy people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself and to make him a name and to do for you great things and terrible for thy land before thy people, which thou hast redeemed to thee from Egypt, from the nations about and their gods. For thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people Israel to be a people unto thee forever. And thou, Lord, art become their God. And now, O Lord God, the word that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and concerning his house, establish it forever. And do as thou hast said, and let thy name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel, and let the house of thy servant David be established before thee. For thou, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, hast revealed to thy servant, saying, I will build thee in house. Therefore hath thy servant found in his heart to pray this prayer unto thee. You see what's happening there? David's not in trouble. He's not asking God for any help. He's actually not asking God for anything. That spiritual man, David, that man after God's own heart, you know what he's doing? He's, he's remembering things. He's rehearsing things. He's, he's asking questions. You know what that tells me? The second principle this teaches me, prayer is our opportunity to talk to God. Let me just say that again for you because you don't believe me. Prayer is your opportunity, if you're saved, to talk to G-O-D, God. I know you're numb to that. Let me say it just one more time with feeling. Prayer allows you, little old you, to talk to mighty, glorious Him. You could talk to Him now. You could talk to Him tomorrow. hope you talked to Him yesterday. You can talk and converse and rehearse and ask questions and ponder things with God Almighty. That's quite a privilege. I remember being on the street many years ago. We were doing some ministry in Manhattan. And a man, he was a missionary back then. Not, 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 right now, I don't think he is anymore. His name was Chuck Zander. And he's a good man. Uh, he came to be a missionary to New York City. And he was handing out tracts. And when I was next to him, I was a younger Christian then. He was very seasoned. So I was trying to pick up some pointers. And he gave this lady a track, and he was talking to her. And she just very honestly stepped back and said to this man with all sincerity, you can talk to God? And he, it hit him. I remember him stepping back, stepping back and going, yeah. I can talk to God. Does it ever hit you that you can talk to God? If you're saved, say amen one more time. You can talk to God. You have access to God. Do you know why you were created? Do you know why the Lord saved you? Well, because he needs servants. He needs people to get the gospel out. No, you missed it. You missed it. He saved you and he created you for fellowship, for communion with him. But you can't have communion without communication, okay? They got the same root word. You can't have a relationship without communication. Try not talking to your wife for a month. I'll see you at the marriage counseling center. Right? And try not talking to God for a month. I'll see you in the backslidden condition. 
because the bedrock of this whole thing is communication so you can have communion. That's why Jesus Christ called himself the voice of the Lord in the garden because he wanted to come down there and talk with them. His voice. You know the first man to actually, quote, pray in the Bible is Abraham. Genesis chapter 20. I know other people must have prayed. But the first person that's said to actually, quote unquote, P-R-A-Y, pray in Genesis 20, is Abraham, the father of faith. A man who left his old life to follow the Lord by faith in a new life. Hello, am I talking to anybody? A man whose belief in God is a picture of your salvation. A picture of your new life. Romans 4 tells us, what shall we say then that Abraham our father pertaining to the flesh hath found? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted to righteousness. You got saved. Your salvation was prefigured by what Abraham did by believing the impossible. And if God has given you a new life by faith, doesn't that mean... You should pray because Abraham prayed. Shouldn't you pray? I mean, don't you want to talk to God? Abraham wanted to talk to God. <laughs> he talked to God about Sodom. He talked to God about his children. He just was always talking to God. Why? Because he was a man of faith. He had this new life. That's what we're supposed to do. Listen, you get a new car, right? You get a new car, what happens? You want to talk to others about it. How's it going? How, oh, it does this. Oh, you know, it's got a blender in it. I can microwave my Hot Pockets in it. It's got all this stuff, right? You just, you want to talk about that new thing. Hey, you want to talk about your new life? Don't you, do you have new life? Oh, I remember the old life. I don't like the old life. I don't like going back there. Every once in a while, it shows up and tries to drag me back, but I don't like it back there. It was, the Bible says the darkness is past. I don't want to go back there. Right? God says, I've called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Don't you want to talk about that marvelous light? I should say. Could you imagine? Just imagine. How amazing would it be to be given a Lamborghini as a free gift? Now, you plug in your own car. If you want to buy American, that's fine. I'm a Ginzo, so I'm going Lamborghini, right? How amazing it would be to be given a brand new Lamborghini. You say, that is unbelievable. Oh, my goodness, the door's open like that. Oh, man, wow. And it's lime green. Oh, my goodness. Wow, look at that. I've only seen them on the street. I've seen them. On, wow, you got a Lamborghini? You tell everybody about it. I got this Lamborghini, a model. I got a Lamborghini as a free gift. That would be amazing. That would be spectacular. That would, wow. But how much more amazing if you could talk with its designer whenever you want. Amen. How about that? Not only do you have the Lamborghini, but you got access to the one who designed the Lamborghini, who built the Lamborghini, who knows everything about the Lamborghini, and whenever you want, you could talk to that person. That would be really, really impressive. Go to Psalm 34. Folks, you got the new life. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. The Bible says we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. I mean, we got something amazing that God designed and built for us, but he didn't just give it to us and say, I'll see you on the other side. He said, here's the new life. You could talk to me whenever you want about it. Do you? Look at Psalm 34. Look what the Lord says here in Psalm 34, verse number 15. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord, because he's watching, he's got eyes, 
The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. That's you, if you're saved. And his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth. That's present tense. Them out of all their troubles. Folks, the Lord who gave you life wants to hear your voice. He's a good father. And in the book of 1 Peter, when he quotes that verse, he says, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. Prayers are just you talking to God. You know, when I was a dumb teenager, not you dumb teenagers, you guys are great teenagers, but I was a dumb teenager, right? Because they used to be dumb before whatever year I was not a teenager. But when I was a dumb teenager, I never wanted to talk to my father. I'd sit there at the breakfast table and I'd put the box of Cocoa Krispies or whatever I was eating that I wouldn't eat feed to my kids today, but I was eating. But I turned out okay. You know, but I put them there and I, I put it down there as a wall between me and my dad. Because I didn't want to talk to him. I didn't want to be bothered. But then, you know, when I got saved and grew up a little bit, I appreciated those talks. Because I got to know my dad. I, I enjoyed those talks. Hey, do you want to know your, your dad? <laughs> You're putting up a wall. He's sitting there ready to talk to you. We put up a wall. I don't want to be bothered. I'm too busy. Really? (laughs) An old saint said this, be much alone with God and take time to get thoroughly acquainted. Converse over everything with him. Unburden yourself wholly. Every thought, feeling, wish, plan, doubt to him. He wants not merely to be on good terms with you, but to be intimate. You see, prayer is not just your shopping list. It's an opportunity to converse with God Almighty. Number three, go to Isaiah 53. I'm hurrying here. I'm just walking you through the types of praying that Paul told Timothy to tell his congregation about. What are they and what does it say about God? First one was supplications. We need God. Second one was prayers. We could talk to God. The third type of prayer Paul exhorts us about is intercessions. Intercession, you see the prefix inter, go between. Intercession is the act of interceding. It's the soliciting one party in favor of another. Being that go between. Here's the first mention of intercession. It's it's in Isaiah 53. It's about Jesus Christ dying for us. Isaiah 53, verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off. Out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked. Remember him between those thieves? And with the rich in his death. Remember that borrowed tomb from Joseph of Arathea? Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. 
when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. That's why Jesus could say it is finished. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. That's why Jesus died on a cross, to be between those two parties, on a cross, to bridge the gap between God and sinful man. That's the first mention of intercession. Jesus Christ died to be our intercessor. But go to Romans chapter 8. He didn't stay dead. Romans 8. I thought I'd get more than one amen out of that. Romans 8. Romans 8, 31. He didn't stay dead. And as our high priest in heaven, Jesus Christ now has a ministry. You know what his ministry is? Intercession. He's still going to God for us. Romans 8, 31. The Bible says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who could be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? That's you. Don't get crazy on me now. It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Oh, he started at the cross, but it's still going on. The Bible says, he ever liveth to make intercession for us. He's constantly at the Father's right hand saying, take care of this one, take care of that one, give this one this one, don't do that, Father, keep that from that one. Protect. Ever wonder why God keeps you from some things? And when God brings some things into your life, it's because you got somebody up there praying for you, interceding for you, being that go-between for you, to go to God on our behalf, that's, a, that's worth the price of admission, just to know that. Just to know that Jesus is praying for you, that's, we talked about that many months ago. But here's where I want to spin it around to us, because we're told to intercede, because here's, my, here's my, my thinking. If the Spirit of Christ lives inside you, then a big part of your prayer life should be for others. Because he's up there not praying for himself. <laughs> he's up there praying for you. If that Spirit lives inside of me, I should be inclined, if I'm walking in the Spirit, to pray for you to think of you. So I wonder how much of your tiny time praying is lifting up anybody but yourself? Oh, Father, I need this. And Father, I need... What? Can you look around, people? Can you just open your eyes and look beyond your nose for like five minutes? We've got folks in this place on beds of affliction. Are you asking the Lord for mercy? You can. The Bible talks about Lord asking, Paul asking mercy for Onesiphorus, right? Asking mercy for Epaphroditus, right? Who was sick unto death. You asking anybody for mercy? Amen. Look around the room. 
We got moms getting surgeries for tumors. We got people dealing with pain for years. We got folks with all these infirmities. Hey, you don't have to be a nosy body. Just bring, you bring it to God. Bring it to God. Oh, Lord, have mercy on this one. Lord, have mercy on that one. Lord, help this one. Look around you. We got young people navigating a wicked world. Okay? If you think they're just crying in their beer, can I just tell you as a high school teacher for 22 years, it ain't the same as when you went to school. It ain't the same world. They're being pulled and prodded and engineered like cattle being pushed over a cliff. And they don't even know it. And they're just kind of being moved around and they're helpless. Hey, is there anybody in here beseeching God to keep them from the evil? My Savior prayed that for his disciples. What about you? Praying over your kids, praying over your little ones. Do you know the names of any of the little ones in here? No, because you're too busy with you. You're too busy with me, myself, and I. Do you know about the Zoes and the Faiths and the Patsies and the, you know, you know about all the little ones in here and the Theos and the Addies and the Gracies and the Violets and the Alessandras? You know about all those little ones in here? I know I'm missing a name. I know. Don't get mad at me. But do you know anybody about those Andrews? Those Jacobs? You know anybody else? Those Jaylas? Those Cadens? Those Arias? Those Lanes? Those grandbabies? You know anybody about those names? But you're all too busy with yourself, right? Those Scarlets? You know anybody? It's just you. I know because it's all about you. It's all about me, myself, and I, right? But the Bible says we're supposed to intercede for others. And we got a world of people. We got a next generation that if Jesus doesn't come back, they are shot. <laughs> They are shot. I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. I'm just telling you, as somebody who's been in the thick of it and been around teenagers for 22 professional years, my heart breaks for them because their brains are being engineered to be marshmallow fluff. So if you want somebody in here to be an exception, there needs to be some firepower from heaven. You better storm heaven on their behalf. We got, and we all got them, we got lost loved ones all over the place. You know, cousins in Israel, lost family members next door, people, lost family members everywhere. Can I ask you, are you calling on God to open their hearts to the truth? How's it going to open up? What's going to change that cousin's heart? What's going to change that friend's heart? You just being annoying? That's not going to change their heart. The king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it with us whoever he will you got to start storming God and asking God and beseeching God about it. You trying to do any of that? You want me to list all the lost people in here? Everybody can put, put your hand up if you know somebody that's lost. Okay. Go to work, brethren. Go to work. Got a lot of work. You can labor in prayer. Got a lot of work to do. He said, but nobody's going to... Yeah. Nobody's going to see it. But God's going to see it. And isn't that the one you're supposed to be doing it for anyway? <laughs> How about this? How about this? Let's just bring it home a little bit. We're a church, right? That's what we are, even though we meet in a school. We're a church trying to finish strong in a world that wants to see you quit. Can I ask you, are you pleading the blood upon your brethren? Are you pleading the blood upon the ministries? When I send those texts out, it's not just to keep you updated and to bother you before you kind of look at the other stuff you're looking at. It's to let you know, hey, pray for Operation Jerusalem. Pray for the nursing home. Pray for this. Pray for that. Because without him, you can't do anything. Are you pleading the blood? See, I'm starting to get convicted. Good. 
Good. Right? We should be interceding more and more. You know what A.W. Tozer said about a church that doesn't intercede for itself? He said, the church that is not jealously protected by mighty intercession and sacrificial labors will before long become the abode of every evil bird and the hiding place for unsuspected corruption. The creeping wilderness will soon take over that church that trusts in its own strength and forgets to watch and pray. Look, I don't, I don't mean to, 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 to talk down to you, but I, I'm going to just be honest with you. You can't all preach a message. Most of you never will. Just the way it is, right? You're just not fitted for that. That's not your thing. A lot of you are not able to stand on a corner walk up to houses, put bags on doors. That's okay. But everybody sitting here saved can all obey God's command to pray one for another. James 5.16 says, pray one for another. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You don't need any qualification. You don't need physical blessing. You don't need any kind of uh, uh, allowance from me. If you are saved, you could storm heaven whenever you want and bring names and people that come across your mind, just bring them to the throne of grace. Just bring them to the throne of grace. Just, you don't need to know. You don't have to live on each other's doorsteps. But if a name comes in front of your mind, Lord, whatever it is, take care of that person. Oh, go to Colossians chapter 4. We're almost done. Colossians chapter 4. Look at verse number 12. Colossians 4.12. That should encourage you. Hey, heaven is going to be quite the equalizing place. You're going to think it's all the loud mouths like me. They'll be at the front of the line. Mm -mm. It's going to be the quiet grandmas. It's going to be the people that couldn't get out of their homes, just who prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and did those things that nobody could notice, that nobody could pat them on the back for. I bet those people are going to get the, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because sometimes you get your reward down here. Oh, bless God for you, brother. Oh, praise God for you, sister. But some men that are otherwise, the reward cannot be hid. So don't despair. Colossians 4.12, look how God even points it out. He says in Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, who is one of you, he was a Colossian, a servant of Christ, saluteth you always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. God is telling the Colossian church and by default the Laodicean church, the church of the last days, about one man. What did he do? What sermons did he preach? How many did he lead to Christ? I don't know, but I know this. He prayed fervently for his brethren. And God put him down at the end of the book of Colossians, which he said was supposed to be given to the Laodiceans, which is the church of the last days which is us. What would church be like if we all took intercession seriously? Be a little bit of heaven on earth. If we were all like Epaphras, willing to let God give us the commendation, or we labor in our prayer closet? E.M. Bounds said, talking to men for God is a great thing. And it is. Witnessing is a great thing. But talking to God for men is greater still. And Hudson Taylor, that great missionary to China, said it is possible to move men 
through God by prayer alone. And finally, the last type of prayer Paul points out to Timothy is, quote, giving of thanks. Colossians 4.2, look, 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 Colossians 4.2, continue in prayer and watch in the same, meaning prayer, with thanksgiving. Look at uh, Philippians 4. Flip to the left, just a few pages. Philippians 4, look at verse 6, that great prayer promise. Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing. Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. It seems like over and over again in Paul's exhortations about prayer, he often mentions thanksgiving, thanksgiving, thanksgiving. I think it's ironic that the last thing Paul says about praying is probably where prayer should start. Psalm 100 says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. What would your prayer life be like if you started by thanking God? You might not ever get to your problems. You think God wouldn't answer your problems if you spent the time just thanking him in prayer? You think God would forget your laundry list if you said, I'm going to put the laundry list aside and just say, Lord, thank you that I'm saved. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the church. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for the Holy Ghost. Thank you for the victory. Thank you for the kindness. Thank you that your thoughts are ever toward me. Thank you that you're holy. Thank you that you're righteous. Thank you for another day. Thank you for a good night's sleep. Thank you that I can walk on my own two feet. Thank you for bringing me through this. Thank you for bringing that one through that. Imagine, I bet the Holy Spirit would show up in that one. He inhabits the praises of his people. Right? You say, how do you pray longer than five minutes? Don't make it just a laundry list. <laughs> Some of you wonder, like, how did Martin Luther pray for hours? Well, it wasn't just, and God, take care of Cousin Ruby, and um, Grandma's got the gout again. Like that, If that's all prayer is, then it's just his laundry list. I mean, how long of a conversation do you want to have with someone that's just like, you know, and I need this, and I need that, and I need this, and I need that, and I need some more of this, and I need some more of that. You're just like, oh, my goodness, can we just end this? Just give me the list and go home. God's like, hey, what else is on your mind? Well, Lord, thank you that you're a good father. Thank you that you hear these prayers. Thank you that you're willing to listen to me. Thank you, Lord, that you got this plan for me, and one day you'll split the sky and take me home. And I, had, I can't look forward to being with you, Lord. And I know this, but I got lost people down here, Father. And they're on my mind. I got a nephew. I got a this one. I got a that one. And Lord, would you save them, Lord? I thank you that you're so merciful, God, that you, you have mercy and long suffering. You kept them alive this long, Father. Thank you for the life. You see, you just, just, it's a conversation. It's, 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 it's communion, it's fellowship, it's not. I mean, walk up to your wife this afternoon. See how it goes when you're just like, I need my laundry done, I need the kitchen clean, and make me a sandwich. And just walk away. And, and see how it's later, you know? See how it goes later. Just let me know, all right? Probably gonna be, I got some requests too, and you can sleep on the couch, right? That's probably, that's probably what it's gonna be. Why is it so foreign to us? God wants to be spoken to, not just at. Spoken with, not just at. And thanks is a way to do that. You know, even the world recognizes the need for gratitude now. You get a gratitude. Have your five minutes of gratitude every morning. It'll change your day. Right? 
I don't know who you're thanking. I'm thanking the unknown God, I guess. But what if you thank the one that you know actually gave you those blessings, right? I mean, if the world can recognize the need for gratitude, shouldn't God's people who know better be the most thankful people on the planet? Where are you going to thank God? You're going to wear a t-shirt? No, in your prayer closet. Lord, thank you for this and thank you for that and praise your name that you're holy and righteous and good. Go to 1 John. I got two verses left. Go to 1 John 5. 1 John 5. I hope I'm encouraging you to pray. And it, you know, of course we have Tuesday night and Sunday morning, but you know, if it's not there, then just make sure you're praying somewhere. 1 John chapter 5. Here's why we could thank God. Here's why we could pray with thanksgiving. 1 John 5, 13. Ready? These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. We can pray with thanksgiving because God has told us he'll take care of us. See that? I know you're not asking for a Maserati there. I'm out with my Italian cars again. If you're not asking for, you know, a million dollars, but you're asking for God to give you things that according to his will, you know what? You could pray with thanksgiving. Because he told you, if you pray according to his will, I'm going to give you the petition. That's what brings the thanksgiving into the prayer. I mean, what would your prayer life be like if you could pray it up and leave it in the Lord's hands? Wow, would the, where'd those burdens go? Go to Psalm 55, one more, Psalm 55. Here's a command in the Bible. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. Psalm 55, verse 22, a command. This is in the imperative mood for all my English people. Psalm 55, 22. Psalm 55, 22. Psalm 55, 22. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. You could pray with thanksgiving because you can lay your burdens down. He said, come unto me, O ye that labor and are heavy laden. You know, are you heavy laden? Because you're trying to bear burdens that God wants to take from you. Cast them. Get them away from yourself and put them at the foot of a bloodstained cross. It's a command. You could pray with that thanksgiving because you can lay your burdens down. Why don't you do that this morning? Some of you are bearing burdens. You're troubled about this. You're troubled about that. I'm not saying it's going to put a grin on your face. It's still going to be there, the problem. But if you could just, Lord, give me the grace to give it to you. Give me the grace. Lord, I thank you that you can handle what I can't handle. I'm thankful, Lord, that you could bear what I clearly cannot bear. I'm losing sleep. I'm losing joy. I'm losing peace. Lord, Take this cross, Lord. Help me, to, help me to bear it. Give me the grace to carry it, Lord. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So if you're heavy laden, maybe you need to get some thanksgiving in there. And the thanksgiving can come from the fact that 
you can leave him at the foot of the cross. Like this song that's in our hymnal goes, if the world from you withhold of its silver and its gold, and you have to get along with meager fare, just remember in his word how he feeds the little bird. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If your body suffers pain and your health you can't regain and your soul is almost sinking in despair, Jesus knows the pain you feel. He can save and he can heal. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. When your enemies assail and your heart begins to fail, don't forget that God in heaven answers prayer. He will make a way for you and will lead you safely through. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. When your youthful days are gone and old age is stealing on and your body bends beneath the weight of care, he will never leave you then. He'll go with you till the end. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Leave it there. Leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, he will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Amen? Amen. First Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to just finish right where we started. First Timothy chapter 2. This was Paul's exhortation to pray. Do you see why Paul exhorts the pastor to talk about prayer? You see like what benefit it has for you and how it could bless God? Verse 2 he says in First Timothy, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Don't you want this kind of life as a believer? Don't you want that kind of peace? Verse 3, For this is good and acceptable with God, in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. He's saying, hey, it's God's pleasure for you to pray. It's God's desire to see you pray. And God has given us his provision, that mediator that lets you pray. So if you want to be great for God, verse 8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. If you want to be great for God, I am supposed to exhort you to be great in prayer. Will you? Or will you go on trying to bear it yourself, handle it yourself, and let your relationship with God wither because you never call out for help. You never converse with your father. You never pray for anybody else. And you never thank the one who said, I'll take care of you. Let's bow our heads.